All right, everybody, welcome back in Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. A few days removed from very disappointing 0-2 loss at Nashville. A few days ahead of Austin FC, Red Hot Western Conference foe, coming to the riot Saturday, expecting another near-sellout, standing-room-only capacity crowd in Sandy, so get ready for that. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got an Andrew Brody extension. We've got a David Ochoa update. We've got all kinds of news and notes and analysis for everything Real Salt Lake right here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Hey, guys. uh, Ryan and I love bringing you this content uh, multiple times per week or per month, and we couldn't do it without Adam Sessions at OneWire. And we really want you to experience the level of customer service that Adam and all of his colleagues at OneWire provide their clients, their uh, business partners, their constituents. So um, if you're not a business owner, tell your boss to uh, uh, upgrade their voice and their business communications by going over to onewire.co and check out all the services uh, that OneWire has to offer. Adam's a big soccer fan. We've converted the whole office into uh, supporters of RSL. And um, we just ask that you, if you have any opportunity whatsoever uh, in your business, your family's business, um, or your, you know, in your circle of, of influence to uh, refer one wire because uh, there is no doubt in my mind that they'll be able to handle all of your uh, voice communications and uh, other business uh, tech needs. So go over again to the number one wire.co and you can see the uh, depth and breadth of options available. So that's it for our proud partner, one wire. Hey everyone, it's your host Trey Fitzgerald alongside super producer Ryan Hale back at you trying to make sense of a disappointing loss in Nashville and Ryan, I'll give you the kind of my two cents from being on the ground there and then you can tell me what you saw on TV, but uh, this 30,000 seat Geodis Stadium or sorry, Geodis Park in Nashville is really really cool. They did not miss very many details. They took a lot of the good things that have happened in some of the other stadiums that have been built around this league for the last five years, really wide concourses. So pregame when everybody's trying to grab food and drink and jerseys and scarves and all that stuff. Uh, on the inside of the concourse, like they had um, imagery from each of the supporters groups on one end. Um, everything is blue and yellow. Um, people are very, very friendly. They're really happy. It was Mother's Day, so I think they only got 28000 in the building instead of the 30000 they had had the, the week before uh, when they opened the building against Philadelphia. But um, Gary Smith, former Colorado Rapids coach, uh, mentor of sorts with both Pablo Mastroeni and our assistant coach, Brett Jacobs, uh, he's got that team playing, you know, they've been kind of knocked, I think, over the last year plus. They're two seasons in the league for being a very defensive style. But as uh, some people have said to me after the game, they said, look, 
that's what they do. They force the opponent, in this case, Real Salt Lake, into uncomfortable positions, and uh, then they kind of thrive on that. And they've got Walker Zimmerman in the back, just a couple weeks removed from a four-year, two and a half million a year, ten million dollar total guaranteed deal. Um, they've got Hani Mukhtar, who for me is one of the best and most dynamic um, attackers, DPs in the league uh, up front. And, you know, when we beat them 2-1 here at Rio Tinto on March 19th, they didn't have their finishing boots that day. I think that's a game where uh, we got probably lucky to get all three and maybe lucky to even get one. Um, Similar to how probably Toronto felt when they came into Rio Tinto, we were flying, we were creating a lot of chances. Probably should have won that game 4-1, 5-1, but we didn't have our finishing boots that day, and we kind of – Look back at that uh, 2-2 draw is like the only blemish right now on the home record. So, you know, going into this weekend against Austin, and Austin had been red, red hot. Now they just lost uh, 1-0 to the Galaxy last week, which was one week after we beat the Galaxy 1-0. But, uh, again, Austin FC, they've got a game changer in uh, Driussi, who some people think is the best DP in the league. So, it's going to be an interesting match Saturday at Rio Tinto. Don't know what exactly is going to happen. Um, RSL, you know, when I look at what ails RSL right now, right, with only one goal in the run of play, and I think the last five games, that was Krylock's goal against Toronto right before halftime. Um, obviously, Marcelo Silva did have the set-piece goal against the Galaxy. That was the difference, as was... Uh, Stoppage time VAR as as well against the Galaxy. But um, if we do not have Demir Krylock back, who's going to make that difference? Who's going to be the person um, to pull the team together, to to keep it moving, to create some possession, to create some dynamic attacking sequences, to pull that defensive line of confrontation up and forward? And it's going to be an interesting game because – Pablo Ruiz is out on yellow card accumulation. Uh, Scott Caldwell, most likely, I think, is the sensible choice to fill in for him. Uh, what does that mean? You know, does Everton's game change a little bit if he's playing next to Caldwell instead of Ruiz? Uh, without Demir, you know, does uh, does Justin Miram start again? Wood and Rubio up top, Chang in the midfield. Or is there another, you know, can you mix in a Jasper Loffelson, who I think has been kind of a Swiss Army knife. So Pablo Mastroini has got some different options there. I think in the I think the back five, which has been very, very solid this year with the exception of really one game at New York City, uh, of Herrera, Glad, Silva, Brody. We'll talk about Brody's contract extension here in a little bit. And then Zach McMath in goal. He's played – he's the only guy to play – Every minute of every game uh, this year, he leads the league in saves, which is probably not something he wants to brag about because that means he's he's having to step up and stop uh, more shots than he would probably like to. But thankfully uh, for RSL, he's been up to the challenge through the first uh, third of the season. So um, there's a lot there. I was rambling. Uh, we'll talk about the Nashville Stadium here in a minute, but just – uh, you watch that game on ESPN Plus from, I think, a beautiful vacation location. So uh, give us your thoughts on, on what you saw and what frustrated you and 
what might be something to build on going into this week against Austin? Yeah, first of all, it's frustrating to um, you know to have to get the home team feed when you're watching away game for RSL because you miss that. But uh, one thing I did notice about this game um, that uh, you, you kind of brought up, like the Nashville playing style of making teams uncomfortable. I think that that's definitely what was on display. And I was I was trying to figure out like what is you know because we've kind of had this. I don't know, Arsenal's had a very close view of what Nashville's been doing this the beginning part of the season. I think we're kind of, we don't have to worry about them too much for a while. But yeah. but one of the things I've been noticing about like Nashville, and you know, I'm one of those guys who will go and like dive into the MLS Reddit threads about like the game threads, matches. Yeah. Whenever a team plays against Nashville, the the sentiment from the, the, the fans of the, the team that's playing against Nashville is always talking about things like, that they're what are their strikers doing? Why aren't they getting? Why are they like they don't look? They're just not finishing. All this, it seems like that's that's pretty normal for a team to have that reaction to playing against Nashville. And I think mm-hmm. that's it's interesting that they're able to pull that off so well because I think that you you also said something about them like yeah people don't I don't people don't give them the they're a new team and I think they still have the growing pains of being a new team you know and so I think that when they do have something like an identity that that kind of works it's. It's frustrating when it works on your team. Yeah, yeah. So and I think what we're seeing is like you're seeing these. I may have brought this up before, but I feel like there's a lot of players on the RSL side that are very good at filling in gaps. And I just think that there's a, there's some there's some th- there's some roles that need to be like established, and there needs to be these these players that need to like. I don't think that there's. I think the thing is like people are stepping up into positions that they don't normally play or situations are not normally comfortable in. Right. And I think that when this team finally gets these gears in place and they're, they're on the right, you know, they're, everybody's where they need to be. I think that you're going to see they, some of these things that have been like, you know, just fill in roles will become, you know, this is what, the, this is why this player is worth the money we're paying. I mean, that kind of stuff. And so um, that being said with, with guys like Savarino coming back in and Julio yeah. coming back in and people that, that do seem to like play, you know, maybe they can solidify some places that have been weak, uh, give a chance for Bobby Wood to be Bobby Wood and mm-hmm. not be like, you know, a version of him that he has to be on this, this team or even Ruby or being on, um, one of the things that happened on the ESPN Plus feed that I thought was was really telling is um, the color commentator. Yeah, Jamie Watson, Jamie Watson, former RSL player. Yeah, so Jamie Watson. So he's talking about RSL, and he's talking about one one thing that stuck out to me. He talked about a shot that Aaron Herrera took, yeah. and he's like, that's not a shot that you take if your plan is working, which is, I think, the shot from like 30 yards out, which Aaron Herrera definitely has the foot to take a 30-yard shot. In fact, we've seen it a couple years ago. I think one of his first... Like in his first season, he took a shot out, and it may have actually been against Zach McMath, like against Colorado, where he yeah. took a shot from like at least thirty, maybe forty yeah. yards out, and barely, and just he the fingertips got it. He should yeah. his first Aaron Hurst goal should first goal of his his career should have been this like <laughs> blast from forty yards out, but but what the what Jamie Watson was saying was that uh, it's just not something a comfortable yeah. team does. It's like you don't play soccer like you play like well, NBA. It was rough. We were yeah. buried under it for the first 30 minutes, and even the next 30, I wouldn't say we were really comfortable. And I think Aaron had two of the club's first four shots. Marcelo Silva had the other two of the first four shots. And I think as you're drawing things up, you don't want your first four shots to be from uh, a center back and a, and a, and a right back, right? So – it was it was one of those games where I felt like watching that a lot of guys were standing around and waiting for something to react to instead of making the proactive runs. 
and this has a this has a trickle down effect, and it's kind of a chicken or the egg because the guys like waiting to make the runs are waiting for the guy with the ball to like maybe find a space or or give a signal about where he's thinking about going. But the guy with the ball is waiting to see what options he's going to have. And and what Pablo said to me, I don't know, Monday or Tuesday, was just like it's one of those games where everybody needs to be more proactive because if you're passing and standing or you don't have the ball and you're just standing, you're you're putting your teammate in a bad position. You're not giving them options. You're not being proactive to either find space for yourself, create space for somebody else, um, and, you know, this game is played uh, at a rapid pace, and the really good players, they see things happening two, three, four steps before they happen. And that's Demir Krylock's greatest strength. Is he, he, the game is very slow for him, and it's like a chessboard, and he sees all these things in real time that are going to happen, and that's part of what makes him so obviously effective and magical for us. We clearly missed him Sunday in Nashville. Don't know yet if he's going to be back or not for this week against Austin. But Austin under Josh Wolf, they did not have a great record last year, but they clearly have an identity and they have an exciting way to play. And now they've got 20 points in their first 10 games or just behind LAFC at the top of the Western table. Um, their DP, Driussi, I haven't seen a ton of him. When I have seen the highlights, he's amazing. And most pundits around the league think he might be the best DP out of all of them uh, in MLS this year. So Saturday is going to be tough. It's great that it's going to be another capacity crowd. Um, I'd like to remind people to tell all their friends and everybody else that they know that have tickets, get there a little earlier. Don't don't make those stands for a sold-out game be empty for the first 20 minutes because you can't get in right at 7.30. Warm-ups are going to start at 6.45. Gates open at 6.30. If you're one of those people that's always late, wouldn't it be pretty cool to, like, get in, get your hot dog, your your Diet Coke or whatever, and sit down, like, while right as kickoff happens as opposed to rushing and maybe missing a goal because it was only a couple home games ago where Bobby Wood scored on a corner in the second minute. I think that was against Nashville. Um and that just changes the game so much, right? If you think about the guys we have, and, you know, we don't have Savarino here yet. His visa is a couple weeks away. Anderson Julio probably isn't going to start yet, although I think ideally he would be a 90-minute-a-game potential uh, player. Um, Pablo Ruiz is out because of yellow card accumulation. Uh, Justin Miram has played almost every minute of every game except for uh, when he went to play for Iraq before the Colorado game. So he missed Kansas City. Um, you got so, you got guys, You got Pablo's got a lot of options. Um, but, you know, I think the frustration for a lot of people coming out of the Nashville game, and you heard it from Aaron Herrera, uh, you heard it from Justin Glad on the post game in the media, where they want to say, okay, where's our possession? Where's our dynamic attacking passing and movement type style and um, hopefully we see more of that uh, this week against the Austin regardless of whether Demir's back or not yeah I, I like I'm, I'm not glad that I hear when I hear Aaron 
Herrera be so frustrated after the game. I don't want to hear him frustrated after the game, but I am glad that he is talking like that. I think that like one of the things that we've kind of tried to highlight on the show because we can, you know, we are, you're in conversations with Pablo like all yeah. the time. It's like, yeah. I want to like really highlight like what is happening behind the scenes, what's happening in that, that locker room. And I feel like one of the things that's, that's been a consistent is that, you know, there's some good vibes in there. There's there people are happy sure. to be there. People are happy to be playing with each other and people are happy to be doing what, what Pablo is asking them to do. I do think that like, it's not, bad to know that there's some frustration there and i think that yeah. it's good i want to know like that's the thing is like so we have seen with our eyes you know those of us that aren't in the locker rooms after the game have seen you know press conferences with Aaron her and seen how frustrated he is and now the next thing that we're going to see is them go out take the field against you know austin and it's like well are they going to be able to change those things <laughs> one of the um i'm just i'm laughing here because uh, i just looked up the box scores from the last several um, uh, Austin games and seeing Maxi Rudy's name so many times on there is like so. That's just a name that I you never expect to to hear him still be relevant. I mean, yeah. he's a great he's a good player. He's he's a good he's a good role player. He's that's, found a home. That's a good that he's the perfect example of somebody. Can you be an MLS role player and be successful? And yeah, look at put somebody like put someone like. Jerusi behind him and he's like that that combo becomes unstoppable. We have those combos. We have those situations. We have players we have players that are as good as Maxi Rudy, yeah. uh, our, the RSL squad. I come, I'm going to go out on them and say that. <laughs> but the thing is like what's happening is he's finding a spot. He's finding mm-hmm. a place. He's finding some he's finding service for that matter. Yeah. And I think that that's why there's some things that are like, you know, that's why it this Austin looks the way they do right now. And um I'm hoping that with this frustration, like what I want to see from from these guys, um, I want to see them be able to fix this. You know, I think that one of the the knocks against people like Justin Glad and some other people is like, well, you can see when it's wrong, but can you fix it to make it right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that Justin doesn't do that. I'm just saying sure. like I think that's one of those knocks. I think like we sometimes we see that frustration, but we don't always like what is the answer to this? And I hope that we we get a taste of that this weekend because. Um, I believe that that's well, you know, that's the thing is like I think for the first time, you know, the 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 negative comments about like, you know, Pablo are, are surfacing now. You see them more often. Like, well, here's where a coach earns their their money. It's like, what do you do when the team themselves are frustrated, when the the results sure. aren't coming through? It's like, yeah. can you make those adjustments? Can you do that? And I think that the reality like the double-edged sword of that is that I think the reality is like Pablo is very good at adjusting and that's why he has players playing in positions mm-hmm. that they're not comfortable. And that's why people will step up and do those things for him. So can, how sustainable is that? How, how can we, can we find some magic? Can people get comfortable? Um, like I'm just gonna throw one more name out here. I'm not, uh, you know, Cordova is one of those guys that I want to see sure. be comfortable on the field. I think that when he starts looking comfortable, it's yeah. not hard to tell he's not playing his game yeah. yet. When Bobby Wood starts looking comfortable, I think that this team is going to be, you know, there's going to be score sheets that look like us. And I'm not trying to make excuses. If you look at what's happened over the first 11 games, right, Pablo's had to use 25 players. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Demir has started three games out of 11. He's played in five out of 11. Um, Hopefully Cordova's back this week as well because he was clearly missed in Nashville, and even though he's not fully assimilated from, you know, the German move over here, he does like it here. He's starting to gel with his teammates. He's starting to, you know, get some more confidence to take people on one-on-one. And what what I always think is we need 
we need Sergio to be more selfish. But he's just another dynamic attacker. To your point, if he's combining with Chang or Miram or Wood or Rubin or Julio off the bench or Savarino when he gets here or Crylock when he gets back out on the field or you know Aaron even because Aaron's getting into the positions where he is most dangerous on the attacking end, uh, which we did not see much of to your earlier point in Nashville, then it's going to make everybody better. Brody on the left as well. Um, the guy's got a nonstop engine. He can make things happen. I love watching him overlap uh, with Miram. I think we saw a lot of good um, in that regard against the Galaxy. Um, Tate Schmidt's another guy who was very, very dynamic early on, has you know had a few kind of missteps in the New York game. He's trying to get his confidence back. Had kind of, I think, the turnover that led to the second goal against Nashville, but that guy cares as much as anybody has ever seen. He works his butt off, and his next opportunity he's going to get to get back out there, he's going to make the most of it. And hopefully that is Saturday against Austin. And that's that's all of these guys, to your earlier point. But who is, who's grabbing the bull by the horns? I think, you know, you've got Zach McMath, who is very communicative and organizational from the goalkeeper position in the defense. And, you know, at the same time, Justin Glad has grown in his confidence and communication as a center back. Uh, Marcelo Silva's wearing the captain's armband. Um, he's a little more of a lead by example, but when he wears that band, he talks more. And, um, and uh, you know, we talked about the, the D-mid. I think Justin Miram's a guy that, that who has been playing, I think, really well this year. Um, you know, he is still in disbelief that – that goal he scored against Nashville was disallowed because he didn't think he fouled Dax. Dax went down pretty soft. From where I was, I thought it was a foul. But, man, like he still is, every day is like, look at that tape. I didn't foul that guy. He went down, and, and Dax did go down easy, but that's part of, yeah. if Dunny was here, you'd say that's part of the Dunsethery of, of you know the dark arts and all that kind of stuff. So it's frustrating. you got to put it behind you, and... um. What game what was it? Toronto that Miram had that great goal, which was very similar to the one that wasn't allowed in Nashville, where he cuts back across the top of the box and hits it, and and you're good to go. So you just need more of that. I know it has been a pretty dry spell from the run of play. Uh, that's why people say set pieces are so, so important. Um, and to your earlier point, no Ruiz. So who is going to take those set pieces? Is Miram taking them all? Um, does Cordova maybe take some in a certain range or from a certain side if he's able to go? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out, I guess, on Saturday what, what the next steps for all these guys are. What can you tell me more about, like, Cablan and what he's what, – what's his situation right now? Like, what is – like, where do you think he fits in all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, it'll be interesting. So he's had about two full weeks of training with the team. Obviously just got off a plane right before the announcement from Belgium. So he's adjusting to the altitude. He's adjusting to the club. Uh, seems to be a really good guy. Um, he's he's waiting for his dog. I think he's got a husky uh, to get over here in June. His dad and his brother, I think, are going to bring the dog over. Um, and Chris is a guy that that played for one of the Blitzer owned clubs uh, in Belgium, named Waslin Beveren. That league has kind of a split first division, so he was playing 
or Waslin Beveren was playing in the in the second of the two first divisions. Um, hadn't played a lot this spring. What everybody believes, I just know like what Pablo and Elliot and Kurt tell me is that even though he's a left sided player, he's right footed, but he's more comfortable attacking um, from the left and then cutting inside. He can play all four positions in a back four. He can play all three positions in a back three. I think if he is considered a center back in any of those scenarios, he's probably a little short. Um, and that's just because he's not as tall as like Glad or Kapelhoff, right? He might be a little bit taller than um, um, Haziel Orozco, who is not tall but is a very poised center back as we've seen this year. So I don't know when he's going to get a chance to play. He did go on the Nashville trip with the team, and I think a big part of that was for Pablo to be able to show him what a MLS road trip looks like because it's very, very different here um, with you know the, the distance traveled, the time spent on a plane. A lot of European teams, they, don't, they never fly. Maybe you fly for Champions League. But uh, you're you're basically taking a bus or a train the morning of a game for a domestic league game, um, depending where you are. I know in Spain there's a few you know cities depending what year certain teams are in La Liga that they gotta they gotta hop on a little plane, but it's a 45 minute plane ride, not a five hour plane ride like like we've been used to. So um, you do have an altitude, you have surface issues here in this country that that don't necessarily. Uh, exist at least not at such frequency in other places. And one thing, Ryan, for the first time uh, this weekend, MLS is allowing media back in the locker rooms. So that's something I've got to sit down with all the international guys um, and explain to them that you got to be ready for this. It's it's a complete foreign <laughs> concept, no pun intended, for the foreigners to have somebody that's not affiliated with the team, like in that inner sanctum space. But the COVID protocols, while we still have masks in place and um, we are still going to do some of the post-game Zooms, um, across the league, uh, locker rooms are being uh, reopened. So uh, that's going to pose its own set of challenges, and we'll see how uh, certain players deal with that. But, like, I've got to sit down with Anderson Julio and Chris Cablan and and, you know, some of the other foreign players that whether they've been here for a couple of years or not, this is something that hasn't existed since, you know, week two of the 2020 season. So um, it's been a full probably 27 months since uh, any media members were allowed in a major league soccer locker room. So um, getting back to your original question, though, Chris is a great guy. Seems like he's coming with a great attitude, realizes uh, this could be a fantastic opportunity for him, much like Sergio Cordova has realized this is going to be a great opportunity. I look forward to Sergio having somebody like Savarino, who is clearly already comfortable here, uh, to kind of help him accelerate that adjustment and that assimilation and just having the two Venezuelan national team guys to to kind of help each other face whatever the challenges are. And I think what a lot of people lose sight of is – Whatever those challenges are off the field, and they can sound simple, imagine yourself being in a foreign country where you barely know the language or you don't know the language, you don't really know anybody, you're trying to perform your job to the best of your ability, little things that happen off the field can really throw you off if you had a bad meal, if you can't 
figure out why your bank account's screwed up. Um, if you can't find the comfort food at the store, like, I don't know, whatever those things are. And I've done it a little bit when I was over in Austria. Um, but I didn't have the pressure <laughs> that these guys have, I think, you know, to perform physical acts and score goals and all that fun stuff to the best of their ability. So, um, just remember that next time you want to rain down on one of our foreign players that's still adjusting a little bit, try to be maybe a little empathetic. But um, the club is doing all the things it can to help cushion those blows and help people assimilate. So um, I'm excited to see um, Cordova thrive here. I'm just looking ahead in May to Austin this weekend. Then the Montreal trip. So there's a yeah, there's, one to, there's one to throw throw some – MLS newbies into as a here try to go to another country on the other side of this country. <laughs> so <laughs> the Montreal trip always seems like such a question mark. You never know what's going to happen with that one. Well, Montreal's playing really well now. So you know, after the Austin game, RSL will have Monday off, and then they ramp up. They head to Montreal Friday. You train uh, in Montreal Saturday, and you play the game Sunday, and then you get back. Um, and then you've got a home game the end of the month against Houston. So. And then you go to Vancouver, and then that's a turf game before a, a little bit of a break in June, which I think everybody will be uh, thankful for. You've got the Saturday, June 11th off, so the week leading up to that game will most likely be off, and everybody can go uh, spend some time hopefully uh, relaxing responsibly and then come back. And, and then RSL has a ton of home games, I think, starting uh, from June 18th to – late july july 24th maybe i think we have five out of seven games at home uh there's a stretch where we get to where we go seven out of ten at home and then that's where you got to maximize points ryan yeah as you know like to make up for look i think we should feel pretty good about being fifth in the west above the playoff line with all the injuries we've played playoff teams i think in nine of our 11 games um we had six of the first nine on the road and then and then uh seven of the first 11 on the road. So we'll be the last team to have back-to-back home games in the entire league. And that doesn't happen until, who is it, like San Jose and somebody else? Like, yeah, June 18th and 25th. So um, it sounds like it's woe is me, but it, it really shouldn't be. It's just these are the circumstances that maybe contribute to um, a disjointed start of the season. And uh, if you had told me on February 1st that, hey – Demir's only going to start three games, and Herrera's going to miss, and Glad's going to miss, and um, you're not going to have your DPs in yet and some of these things, but you'll be fifth. You'll be averaging, what, 1.6 points per game or whatever it is. It's a little less now, 1.5. I would have taken it. And then now it's time to, you know, whether it's Austin at home or lesser teams down the road, you gotta you got to get the full three points every time you're out at home especially in a way as a way of rewarding these great fans that are coming out and selling out the building um, <clears throat> back to back in March, which had never happened first three games of a season, which hadn't happened since 2015 first four games of a season, which had never ever happened. And it looks like it's going to be the first five games of the season as well. And I think we're cautiously optimistic. We're going to be back to that point where every game is 20,000 plus. And we haven't had that since uh, fifteen sixteen. 
All right, guys, one of the things we want to do is provide you with that exclusive kind of insider access that you can't get anywhere else in the Real Salt Lake world. So right here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, hit us up on Twitter, at Claret Cobalt, on Instagram, at Claret Cobalt. You can uh, punch the message button on this page, anchor.fm slash Claret and Cobalt, and ask a question. Ask a bunch of questions. Find out. Uh, let us go find out for you what you want to know from Pablo Mastroeni or Bobby Wood or Elliot Fall or Kurt Schmidt or John Kimball or Andrew Brody, like his best Uber story that he had when he was driving uh, Uber while he was playing for the Monarchs before he just got that new MLS extension this week. So whatever your heart, your head uh, can come up with, uh, let us know. Send it right here uh, to the folks here at Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, and we'll go uh, try to find the answers for you. One other thing, Ryan, while we were just talking about crowds at the riot, right? I don't know if you remember this, but early days, we had a we had a period where it felt like every time we had 20,000 in the building that we would tie or lose, right? So all-time... And this includes CONCACAF, this includes Open Cup, this includes some MLS exhibitions, or sorry, international exhibitions like the one against um, Manchester United. When, and this includes playoff games, when RSL has over 20,000 at home, 32 wins, 15 losses, 23 ties. So that's not bad. That's pretty good. That's three wins, zero losses, one draw this year. Hopefully we get another three points against Austin. But that crowd last time out against the LA Galaxy, the ninth largest crowd in Riot history. Marcelo Silva again with the early second-half header to give us the one nothing win. And the Gal- it seems like we always have the biggest crowds against the Galaxy, but the Galaxy only have four of our top ten all-time uh, crowds at Rio Tinto Stadium. Now they do have three of the top five. Um, bleeding into that, um, both both of the games that we were able to get standing room only above twenty one thousand were against the Galaxy, and uh, one of those featured uh, Zlatan. Uh, the other was in twenty fifteen. Not really sure who the big draw was then, but it's probably Landon Donovan, and Robbie Keane. But anyway, just a fun little uh, stat anecdote because we used to. People used to dread having a full house because they felt like it meant we would lose or draw. But for RSL to be, uh, you know, almost a seventy percent win rate when you're when you're when you got a full house, that's uh, that's impressive, and that's that's the kind of thing we need to happen to turn Rio Tinto back into the fortress. So you heard it here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. I'm your host Trey Fitzgerald. That's your producer Ryan Hale. Thanks for hanging out with us today, and as always. Big thanks to our friend, the Adam Sessions, and his company, which makes all of this possible, One Wire Fiber. You can find them online, on social, at one, the number one, wire, W-I-R-E dot C-O, onewire.co. Hit them up on Twitter and uh, let them help your business with all their voice text and tech. Thank mm-hmm. you.